0: Welcome back to the podcast. This week, Dwayne chats with Bavik Desai, Principal Technical Marketing Engineer for NCI and AOS. They talk about our newest release, AOS 6.7. Let's join the conversation.
1: This week, we're joined by fellow teammate Bavik Desai. We're going to be chatting about AOS 6.7, mainly around the core AOS storage updates, but maybe we'll sprinkle a few other ones in. Welcome to the show, Bhavik.
0: Thanks for having me, Dwight. Uh, I, I believe this is my second or third time back on the show. Uh always, always a fun time chatting with you.
1: Well, I appreciate you lying. It's fine. I get it. I'm but I'm, I'm have yeah, no, you. It's great to have you. Um, you've been really busy within our technical marketing team. I think you you're probably... I would say you're doing more than the core storage stuff, but that is where I would say the bread and butter of the company sprinkle in some, you know, LCM, you know, the day two operations aspect. But uh, pretty big release, 6.7. Um, feel free to add in whatever you want, Bavic, but I, I'll just hit the areas that are kind of around the storage side. But yeah. do you think anything relates? I so saw the, the one that I've had to you know, read all the fi- fine print and look up and I'm excited about is ICER support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what, what is ICER and how does it even relate to Nutanix?
0: Yeah. So ICER for folks uh, listening in and, and who don't quite understand what ICER is. ICER stands for ISCSI extensions for RDMA. So it's, it's basically an extension of the ISCSI protocol, uh, over the RDMA transport. So over the years, from an AOS perspective, right? So when when uh, AOS came out, what well, oh, gosh, now what, 14 years back now? And it has, it has changed over the years, right? Uh, previously, we did uh, data path optimizations within uh, the controller VM, uh, which is where all the, the secret source of AOS resides in, um, in, the, in a distributed manner across the various control virtual machines. So we did data part optimizations uh, in the CVM itself, where we took uh, stuff out of the uh, kernel uh, and put it in user space. So things like Block Store, which is a user space, uh, kind of a block management layer, file system, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So we we did that where we don't have, uh, from a CVM perspective or from AOS perspective, we did not do not have to do a lot of uh, context switching, not shoot up a lot of CP cycles on the CVM, and makes the data path faster uh, within AOS itself, right? Uh, and then that that also led uh, led us to uh, utilize things like uh, Intel's SPDK or Storage Performance Development Kit, uh, which are a set of libraries that we can tie into uh, specifically for NVMe devices to make sure that uh, we are uh, Utilizing the full capabilities of these NVM devices and, and, and driving their performance to its, its absolute limits. So this is all within AOS itself. Um, what we found that, uh, outside AOS, we still have to rely on the hypervisor communication from the user, user VMs, uh, the application VMs coming to uh, the control of VMs in AOS. So in ESXi, we use the ESXi hypervisor, but then in AHV, uh, we what we found was uh uh AHV has something called AHV turbo or what we internally call photo, where we have multiple uh queues set up for individual VDISC which can paralyze IO operations coming down. But even doing that, we still relied on the TCP network stack or TCP kernel to transport data packets between uh the application VMs and AOS. What uh iServ uh, gives us now is instead of using uh, the TCP uh, kernel or network stack, we can leverage RDMA. So uh, Frodo or, or HW Turbo can now transport those uh, data packets between the user VMs and AOS leveraging RDMA. So that saves a lot of, again, context switching between user space, kernel space, uh, faster memory operations uh, because you can do DMAs, uh, direct memory access, operations, targeting memory, uh, and reducing the CPU processing time uh, on the host itself, uh, lowering uh, the latency and improving performance. So in, in for TLDR, uh, Iser basically uh, optimizes the data path between the AHU hypervisor and AOS by leveraging RDMA instead of the TCP network stack. So
1: after customer upgrades, do they get access to it right away or are there other requirements to enable?
0: So ISER requires uh, a supported NIC card. Uh, right now, you know, the only supported NIC card that we have is CX5, Mellanox CX5. Uh, CX6 uh, will, will be supported. We've already tested that. Uh, it's just that that with 6.7, uh, we've kept the support to uh, CX5 cards. But, uh, with 671, I believe, uh, support for CX six cards should go out as well. So you need to have, uh, uh, a NIC on your host, uh, which is again, CX five, CX six. Once you, once have CX six support, that NIC has to be, uh, it has to be an unconnected port on that NIC where, uh, the AOS and AHV can set up virtual functions and set up the ISO connections, uh, through DMA.
1: Now, the um, for for that to happen as well, um, do we have to change anything on the CVM, or will this the upgrade handle it too?
0: So previously, where you had to uh, do Foundation and do a NIC pass through uh, that happened only at Foundation time, but I believe in AOS six dot five or six dot six, one of these releases. Are, um, I can't recall top of my head right now. Uh, we we uh, we provided uh, capability where even after uh node has been deployed, you can go in and do NIC pass-throughs uh to set up RDMA. Basically, this is all about setting up RDMA on the host itself. Uh so we now provide the capability to also set up RDMA after the fact. So once you upgrade to 6.7, you have an unconnected port uh on the host, you can do a NIC pass-through uh and enable RDMA. And then enable ISER connections on that unconnected port between AOS and AHV.
1: Now, going through the the new Intel and AMD versions that we just announced last week, I guess, or maybe even two weeks ago now, Mm -hmm. the uh, CX-5 is still shipping on a lot, even on on newer versions. But obviously, CX-6 is, I guess, the coolest toy out there. So it should, I guess, as far as... Existing deployments, you're probably more likely to see CX5 anyway.
0: Correct, correct. CX5, yeah. uh, I believe the g 8s have or G7s have some CX5, but the newer ones will definitely have CXX uh, on them. So uh, once we, once customers get to deploying these newer platforms on the uh, G9, what, what we call internally G9, right? They will they will have CXX capabilities.
1: Yeah, I think it's fairly crazy from being being here a while and and yourself as well. The looking at some of the internal performance numbers, where the performance team was doing testing, and like the sequential throughput was flooding, like it could fill a twenty five gig NIC, which just seems absolutely crazy to me from you know the days gone by. But here we are. So yeah,
0: yeah. I mean the the some of the test numbers that I've looked at for, especially for this ISA stuff, right? Uh, and and that was the other thing where support for CX6s was not in 6.7 because they had to go back and run some test additional tests because the performance, especially with the CX6 NICs, uh, for some tests, uh, they've been seeing almost about 30% better uh, performance in terms of lower latencies uh, and lower CPU consumption times for some of these four corner workloads. So that is that is a big boost. Uh, and then one one thing which uh, I would like to point out, right? So to your point, uh, uh, in some testing, especially I think for sequential writes, if I if I'm remembering co- correctly, uh, with 25 gig uh, pipes, they were completely saturating the 25 gig pipes, and that was becoming a bottleneck. So once that uh once the testing moved to 100 gigs that's when the performance was like uh, just jumped up by a big amount. So to, to completely leverage ISER performance, right? I mean, if I'm a customer and uh, if I want the top performance, I would uh, I would go once you have a CX6 Nix, go CX6 with a 100 gig network and performance is going to be blazing blazing fast.
1: I think the performance is obviously the real super sexy thing to talk about, but I think they're just the reduction in CPU, even on on the older systems, is probably that is more, yeah, yeah probably more like the real world scenario because like yeah. it was, I don't know Th- those were, those workloads exist and we have customers, but yeah,
0: you you would, you would find very few customers who are like absolutely running their systems to the edge, like filling up 25 gigabytes, right, from a performance standpoint, but more more realistic use case, as you said, would be who are running their CPUs hot on an older system uh, now, which can be capable uh, to leverage ISER, can reduce the CPU cost uh, because, as I said, you don't have to do as many context switches. There's uh, direct transfers of the data packets, which uh, optimizes the data path connections.
1: Yeah, like the, the number one scenario in my mind is old system. I'm upgrading it. All of my VMs gets, like, I'm missing a host. I only have four nodes. And- yeah cvms on the other hosts run perfectly fine yeah Yeah, that's kind of the (laughs) the real world scenario but man the, the crazy performance numbers are fun to talk about
0: yeah i mean and then there's there's a lot of lot of you know lot of innovations still uh that the performance team is working on and and will come down the line which will leverage things uh which will like uh, Blockstore uh, SPDK they were built on AES, uh, and now ICER, uh is going to be is going to be building upon things like Blockstore SPDK, and there are further enhancements coming which will build upon all these technologies, which will drive the performance to a completely different level.
1: This is an offshoot question, but does AMD have the same development kits to use?
0: I don't believe so. So SPDK is very Intel specific.
1: Yeah. The, maybe it doesn't matter in the amd world they got so many extra cores sitting on yeah
0: that. they they have a different way of of, yeah. of of slicing the uh the pie right so they have big uh single core uh system uh, a, C- a cpu with single uh socket systems with multiple cores to leverage that performance so that's a different uh, different whole different ball game
1: So one of the other features that came out in this release was the ability to have these giant storage nodes, but also snapshot them. Mm -hmm. I think in the, well, I think for objects and even files, like they've always had their own way of doing DR and moving data. So it's never been a thing, but maybe what, where do you see it getting used? I guess now that they have the ability to at least snapshot these giant storage systems.
0: Yeah, I think so. If um, remembering correctly, before before the six point seven uh, with all flash nodes, uh, you could deploy uh, big capacity nodes, uh, but then you want we would not we were not able to take snapshots on those, right? So the maximum. Uh, the highest capacity that you could take snapshots on was 135, 136 terabyte per node, which has now been bumped up to uh, 216 terabyte. So now on an all-flash node, uh, you can take a 24-hour RPO snapshot every, a daily snapshot uh, on a 216 terabyte all-flash node. And then same for hybrid. So 212 terabyte hybrid node, you can have a daily snapshot RPO set up uh, for that which gives uh customers uh, a greater leverage in terms of uh being able to take snapshots and and satisfy rpos with this higher capacity of it. yeah
1: i guess there's always if you want to restore something natively versus using the the built-in features of yeah, Optic. yeah.
0: yeah if you uh, like if you want uh, a snapshot at a, at a lower granularity uh you can always rely on uh, application level snapshots or uh Snapshot from the application standpoint, we can take it at a lower granularity than daily, uh, but again, these these snapshot values, right? So uh, the engineering team is is going to be working on uh, creating uh, lower RPO snapshots in these higher capacity nodes. So uh, you know, coming releases, cheap and deep, cheap and deep, yeah, cheap and deep yeah. is the name of the game.
1: <laughs> so probably going the opposite way with. Um, we announced support for hybrid NVMe and and just plain old Jane hard drives. Yeah. Um, what I guess what was the innovation there? What what changed?
0: So uh, what what we found was uh, now NVMe SSDs are becoming more and more prevalent uh, in the data center. Uh, the, the cost has been coming down on on those drives, and the capacity has been increases. And from a performance standpoint, right? Oh, if you compare NVMe SSDs to SATA. SATA or SAS SSDs, the performance is on a different level for these NVMe SSDs. And then talking to uh, hard drive vendors, we found that customers uh, are preferring uh, buying these NVMe SSDs and even their development, the hard drive vendor's development is shifting towards deploying or working more on NVMe SSDs versus SATA or SAS SSDs. So the reason for uh, having or uh, support for a node which will have NVMe and HDD uh, drives uh, on a node is to support or uh, uh, give customers a choice. Where down the line, once SATA and SAS SSDs are out of the question, customers ca- <clears throat> can deploy nodes with NVMe and, and HDD uh, hybrid configurations. Because that's that's going to be the the prevalent hybrid config uh, going forward. Uh, Especially as as vendors pivot towards developing and putting more development and R and D behind these NVMe SSDs,
1: I was scrolling through my LinkedIn feed and I saw the folks from Storage Review opening up uh, a drive that had like two layers packed of NAND, and I think I think the series they're looking at could fit thirty terabytes. Jeez, <laughs> I'm just like, obviously that's like. You know, the latest greatest, but it's
0: yeah. just like, holy man. Yeah. Yeah. You are, could, we are talking yeah. like big boy capacities, like, even from an SSD perspective, right? So, as I said, the prices are coming down and, and the capacities are increasing. Uh, so, it's, it's becoming more and more mainstream now where uh, customers want the faster uh, storage medium because the, the, you get, you get better performance uh, at a comparative cost and, and similar capacity. So why would anyone want to buy the old SATA SSDs anymore?
1: You'll never need more than one terabyte.
0: You'll never need more than what? What, what, <laughs> what, what was it? You never need more than what, 256 megabytes? What was that quote? Something like yeah, that. I think it was
1: even smaller than that, the yeah. old Microsoft <laughs> yeah. memory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Things, things move on.
0: Yeah, things move on very quickly.
1: (laughs) So we've had uh, storage policies in the the product for a bit too, but I think uh, we've now allowed volume groups to be associated as well.
0: Yeah, so storage policies uh, were introduced with AOS 6.1 and and storage policies for people uh, who who are hearing it for the first time is, uh, from Nutanix's perspective, uh, all the config uh that we did on AOS, like things like uh DDU compression, your replication factor that was set at a container level, which is the logical entity. We are moving that away uh to make it on a per VM basis, which is where storage policies come into the picture. So the way storage policies work is you have Prism Central, you create a storage policy for that, you create your VMs and you can create or you create categories for that and then assign those categories to the storage policies. And the storage policy definition, so things like compression, replication factor, QoS can be set on a per VM basis now versus uh, doing it on the entire container. That makes it easier uh, to move VMs between clusters or between containers uh, because you're not tied to a particular container's config now. Uh, The VM takes its configuration to another container as long as it satisfies the storage policies. And then we have also uh, checks from a compliance standpoint uh, to check whether the storage policies in compliance and whether the VMs assigned to the storage policies are in compliance that's uh, that particular storage policy uh, from a PRISM central standpoint. That is on a per VM basis. Now with AOS 6.7, we're expanding that to also support volume groups. So volume groups uh, similar to uh, virtual machines. You can create uh, policies on them, uh, assign categories, and then those volume groups can be moved between containers or between VMs uh, as required, depending on what your storage policy configuration is.
1: And volume groups are hot and sexy because.
0: Everything uses volume groups uh, in any TANX product. So, uh, like NDB uses volume groups under the covers. Uh, we are, I think, what was the other part? The, NDB uses volume groups, and then I think uh, self-service VMs, when we deploy some of them, they use volume groups and the covers. Uh, so volume groups get leveraged uh, by a lot of technologies, uh, a lot of products uh, in, in, our, in our ecosystem. And they are important because uh, you, you can combine VDIS into a single volume group and move it between VMs.
1: And also, I think it well allows you to access storage maybe off the cluster if you yeah yeah
0: so that, that's the, you know, the i was thinking more in the nutanix ecosystem but yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. if you have uh, so that the, the other part of this is if you have something like a, a clustered file system right so microsoft cluster file system and oracle rack right? volume groups is the way that you would go about deploying that where you have two hosts talking to the same uh data disk in this case a volume group that can only be done with volume groups so that is why volume groups is much more important and to your point we can expose volume groups to external hosts as well
1: yeah which is really this is all leading up to the next one like where two worlds collide Um, so we have we offered i don't even know how to describe it i guess we're just improving an existing scenario with databases in this release
0: yeah, so that was that was the right, kind of the right setup. So what we found uh, as we've gone, as it, uh, leading up to making performance improvements uh, in the EOS stack, uh, the, the goal behind this is for us to support more and more Tier One, Tier Zero applications, your databases, your Oracle SQL servers of the world, right? Uh, what we found, especially in the case of uh, Oracle, uh, is that a lot of customers uh, when they Have to deploy Oracle uh, workloads on us, uh, licensing becomes an issue because uh, licensing conversation is between the customer and Oracle. And because a VM can move on any node uh, on us uh, in a, say, a four node config, uh, they would probably need to, uh, they would. Probably not, not. Not probably. They will have to license all the cores on all the four nodes because the VM application VM can move on any particular node. Right. So that's. I mean, it's, it's good for Oracle because they can get more, more money out of it. But then customers I mean, like, yay. yeah, customers <laughs> like, why why would I want to move to you guys uh, to Nutanix if uh, I have to increase my license uh, cost by almost two x three x. So what is optimized database solution uh, does is uh, now you can deploy a cluster with something called compute-only nodes, uh, compute-only nodes and storage-only really nodes is a term which has been in uh, which has been with Nutanix for a long time, right? So what we're doing different in this is uh, the cluster will only comprise of compute-only and storage-only really nodes. So compute-only nodes is a node where a controller virtual machine uh, cannot run. And a storage-only nodes uh, is where uh, only a controller virtual machine can run. So don't, no application VM can run on it. Uh, there's two benefits of it, right? So especially in the use case that I talked about well, from an Oracle standpoint, right? Uh, now a customer can go to Oracle and say, because of the way this cluster is deployed, we make sure that our VM getting deployed on these computer-only nodes. Cannot be scheduled on any of the storage only nodes because uh, that is completely the all the cores are completely occupied by the CV, CVM in that case. So the VM uh, application VM cannot lie migrate to any of their storage only nodes. They can only stay on the computer only nodes, reducing the license costs required, uh, the Oracle licensing required for uh, for for the customers in, in 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 this scenario versus what we had previously. And, and just doing some uh, back of the hand calculations, right? We, we just taking a typical config between, say, a four node HCI cluster versus this optimized uh, database solution. So we did uh, two computerly nodes, three storage only nodes, because we want HA from a computerly perspective. We want high availability from a storage only uh, node perspective. Uh, just running some back of the hand calculations, the licensing cost was uh, more than half uh, on, uh, on this optimized database solution, so it makes it much more uh, uh, attractive for customers to now who are being being who want to move their Oracle uh, workloads over to Nutanix uh, by leveraging this optimized database solution. It's not that they, they cannot deploy it on an SCA cluster; they can still deploy it. But this is another tool in their toolbox uh, uh, from from our seller's perspective, right? So. Uh, customer has choice now to go this uh, route versus going deploying on the HCI cluster and they can also keep their uh Oracle tier 10 a tier 0 tier 1 application database on a separate cluster performance is similar to that what what you can get on an HCI cluster so uh the total cost of ownership of deploying that uh, is much lower versus uh, uh, in versus uh, previous instances
1: well, there there is an industry trend that ha- provides another solution to that problem, and what is that? it rhymes with Postgres and SQL. All right, yeah, <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, yeah. I just thought sort of that you know the industry, obviously, the you know people are kind of moving towards uh, quote unquote cheaper versions of uh, the the database stack, but
0: yeah.
1: with with that becomes. You know the problem just always kind of shifts around. So now, you know, if it goes, if you go Postgres and other, you're probably having to, you know, upgrade those solutions a bit more. And like, how how automated or is that going to?
0: Yeah, <laughs> the day to day management, right? So it becomes a, uh, becomes a question uh, if you want to go that route. But then we have an answer for that as well. I mean, NDB can solve. All those all those challenges for you, right? So, uh, there's there's a way that customers can, uh, if they want to, uh, not get sucked into the Oracle licensing game. Uh, these there are these options where, and then leverage NDB on top of it, uh, which for the particular this optimized database solution uh, will require NDB. Uh, we will, will make the entire deployment of your databases not just from a deployment standpoint, but your day two operations of your. Lifecycle management of your database, patching and uh, backing up the databases, uh, all this, all this good stuff uh, will be can be taken care of uh, with NDB.
1: We had uh, just had a customer in Europe using NDB with uh, NC2 on AWS to kind of do their, you know, have deployments on-prem, but also have their deployments in the cloud it's when two. they they need to do work. So it's kind of the world's coming together. Yeah, yeah, kind of neat.
0: Um, And and you can move, you can easily move the databases back and forth uh, as required. So it makes it it very easy.
1: Well, I think that's most of the storage features, but I will allow you to, did you have any other favorite features that came out of that release, Bavic?
0: So I'm trying to think what else.
1: It's fine if you don't. I know just sometimes you're like, oh, that'll kind of help me out indirectly. There is obviously, there's a bunch of PC ones too, but...
0: I think my- uh, the other one from AHV's perspective is cross-cluster live migration, uh, which which uh, which where you can do now one-click live migration of your VMs across the AHV clusters uh, from, from Prism Center standpoint. So it enables VMs and their data to be live migrated across clusters uh, from a, a data movement perspective, if required. I think that's... Okay. There was that something it to. I
1: like, typically kind of have to set up all of the DR components to get that to work, so that kind of does it under the covers now.
0: Yeah, I think the platform now automatically uh, does uh, all the necessary pre-checks and uh, well, alert the end user if live migration is possible and take any actions if required.
1: Nice. Well, I would encourage listeners to go check out more information on the the PC 2023.3 release and AOS 6.7 on the portal. Uh, I think the Nutanix Bible is slowly seeing updates. Uh, and so yeah, there's lots of lots of fresh content out. The Nutanix University is also starting to deploy new videos. Typically, I think those come out every Thursday. I think maybe with the uptake in, in videos just because of the new release, maybe on Tuesdays as well. So you can head on over there
0: yeah we no, gonna, I, I think we're gonna do at least for the next uh for the, for the next few weeks we're gonna do two videos a week because there's a lot of new videos coming out around the 6.7 stuff which you were part of
1: you gotta you gotta make sure you mac optimize the youtube algorithm <laughs> yeah yeah
0: the the make the youtube gods the algorithm gods happy in the back end and and drive more content
1: I usually just try to Post like one second images of Angelo Luciani, uh, <laughs> just boom, and then it's like click, click, click. Oh, it's it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, um any last closing thoughts?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, go out, check out, check out the release. Uh, it has, as, as Dwayne mentioned, a lot of good features, a lot of. Uh, enterprise readiness features, uh, that are coming along, uh, with this particular release. Uh, not, not just this is, as I said, we just talked about AI stuff, but then there's a lot of other goodness around, uh, the flow, network security flow, virtual networking as well, uh, that is tied to this particular release. So I would definitely recommend folks to go out, uh, check it out, play with it, uh, you know, in our in our environment and and make leverage all the all the goodness that we have in this particular release.
1: Yeah, we're going to have our one of the NC two architects on to talk about some of those updates, and I think we'll definitely need to have some flow specialists on to to go through. Oh yeah,
0: I think you'll probably need a, a complete different episode for the the, the flow stuff. So uh, you should definitely either either Jason or or Mike Barmandi one of these two will can. Deep dive into because there's a lot of good updates around around flow in this particular release.
1: Oh man, yeah, I can't I can't believe the world of networking. It um, <laughs> it's definitely something I've been spending way more time with. Yeah, uh, so I think that's just kind of the the nature. But thank you so much, Bavik, for joining us today. Uh, great content. We'll uh, post some links as well, and uh, we'll see you on on the
0: Slack channels yeah thank you for having me and it was uh, as always great talking with you duane thanks for listening to the nutanix community podcast for free resources and materials head over to next.nutanix.com so with that from your friends here at nutanix have a great week